I'm Eric. I'm Lucas. And we are the Modern Agronomists. We are putting a modern spin on an old industry. Welcome back. Today we will be talking with Simon Larson from Nature's Alpine Solutions. Please, Simon can bring a little insight into some of his products and some delivery methods with fertilizer. Thanks for coming today. Hi. Yeah, so a little bit about me. I'm the district sales manager for the state of Wisconsin uh, for Nature's Liquid Fertilizers. Uh, Nature's is a company that's been around since 1946, so 77 years. So we've been doing this same thing for that entire time. Everything is liquid fertilizer and focus on in-furrow applications, uh, off-row applications, like a 2 by 2 setup or like a conceal setup, maybe through precision planning, something like that. then moving into foliar applications, we have lots of options for that, depending on what nutrient deficiencies you're seeing or part of a total program. And then lastly, uh, you know, Humix, Fulvix, we have one biological product that focuses on phosphorus efficiency and just basically trying to utilize any type of equipment that a farmer would have to try and get nutrients closer to the plant to be more efficient. So you talked about a little, a lot of different applications there. Um, I guess out of all those applications, which one do you think you're the most passionate about that growers could do a little bit better to help gain efficiencies on their operation? Yeah, I think, so we try to complicate everything when we start talking about crops, but the biggest thing we all have to remember is there's only one way that any crop, no matter what you're growing, can take up nutrients. It has to be soluble, and then it has to go into the plant, which the most efficient way is through the roots. So for me you start looking at what's the most efficient way we can do that. Well, we get through the roots, which means we can get in on a starter application, most likely in furrow, if not that, at least two by two. And we're going to be looking at trying to pull it up to the roots, and it's going to be the most efficient way because of the proximity to the plant, and it is already going to be soluble when we're talking about a liquid fertilizer. So if you were to pick one, you'd choose in furrow over two by two? I think when you look at the data from what I've seen, depending on what nutrient you're doing, if we're looking at nitrogen, then I'm going to pick two by two because I can only put so much nitrogen on the seed. If I'm looking at phosphorus, I'm going to be in furrow because I know I can get the most in and phosphorus is more immobile than other nutrients. So I don't want to pick one or the other. I want to pick both. Honestly, if I'm looking at that and if I'm, if it's my farm and somebody asked me that question, I would have both on my planter. I'd be running Nitrogen, sulfur, pota- uh, some type of potassium product, and then boron in a in an off-roll application like that. And in an infurrow, I'm going to focus on my phosphorus because I want that as close to the plant as possible. That way I don't lose anything because of the immobility of that nutrient. In your travels with meeting with growers, are you seeing a trend of maybe going to more just infurrow based off of uh, workload filling, you know, gallons? Yeah, that's that's always the trade-off, right, is the first thing I always hear is, well, we, we can't stop and fill that many times. And we know that with using an in-furrow product, we're going to be lower gallons and therefore lower fills. So, I mean, most of the time we're looking at a five- to six-gallon rate. Now there's some different application equipment out there, like the precision planting would have furrow jet where we can start to run a little higher gallons because we're off the seed or uh, 360 would have their 360 would have their wave system. So... Uh, you know, different things like that. But I do think, yes, that has been a trend. 
people are looking at those lower gallon rates. That way they can continue to plant more, uh, try and match up like when they're filling seed with that. Um, but then uh, at the opposite time, I think that the guys I know that are really starting to push as far as yield goes, they're looking at both of those. And is time a factor when you're planning? Absolutely. We all know springs are short. We're trying to get stuff done within a certain weather window. But if we're not doing a good job at that time of the year, which is the most critical stage of it, then why are we, why are we even doing it? I guess from my observation, and Lucas and I kind of, our territories are really different. Lucas is a lot more cash grain. I'm a lot more dairy focused. But I would say in retrospect, the corn on my side of the lake looks a lot better when there's nitrogen off to the side. And that is a no doubt type scenario where when people are putting 30 units and two by two and then some 624.6 or what have you in the furrow, I feel like that corn really stands out a lot, lot more than people that are just using in furrow applications. Yeah, I'd agree. I mean, I think it, you're going right back to the point of, you know, when we're doing that, we're still closer to the plant and we know we're going to use that nitrogen better instead of like a, a broadcast application of like urea or even uh, UAN. You know, we're not going to be able to utilize all that, especially in, it's easy to pick on corn because let's be honest, for the most part, corn's in 30 inches. So we can't utilize everything that's, you know, in between the row. The, and I think that leads into, you know, one of the things we always talk about at Nature's is we talk about a start to finish program. So when we're talking about that, we're talking about using an in-furrow application, using an off-row application, then coming back and doing some type of side dressing, whether it be with a knife bar or with a wide drop, something like that. But the whole goal is starting with the right nutrients up front, trying to keep them close, and then doing that the entire way through. That's what start to finish really is. That's why we talk about that. And part of that is because we know that when we do a dry broadcast application, not saying it's not necessary and it's not part of the total plan, but at the same time, how much of that can we utilize? And you look at, like you said, different areas. I mean, around you guys, there's lots of red clay. Well, how much can we use some of this stuff if we're just putting it out there? And, you know, like covering the state for me, you're totally right. There's cash grain, there's dairies, there's, I mean, you get the central manure. part of the state. Yeah, well, yeah, you have the manure to deal with, and, and that's – there's all kinds of scenarios. That's why when you look, you sit down and look at a fertility program, it's not a one-step process. It's not just, you know, we're going to put in a furrow and it's going to be great, or we're going to broadcast and it's going to be great. It's you have to look at every single part of that. And part of the deal with looking at the start to finish is we like to look at all those applications that I talked about that where we can be, we know we can be more efficient. If we start with those and look at that first, then we can come back and say, okay, what do we need to add in for dry? Because I'm going to want to spend my money, at least, where I know I'm going to be really close to the plant and be super efficient versus the opposite. Yeah. So in that, you know, it is a long process of, you know, from start to finish. Do you see a low-hanging nutrient or something that's maybe we're missing that might be easy to gain an efficiency on or a certain product or, like I said, nutrient? I think the biggest thing for me isn't so much – what can we add? It's what do we have to combat? And when you look at Wisconsin, the biggest thing I've always combated, especially when I was in your guys' seats when I did work retail, was magnesium. You know, how do we balance that out? And what I like to look at when we look at soil samples is, I mean, yeah, I mean, we start with lime, right? We got to make sure we get that right because that, to me, is where we start talking about nutrient availability and, you know, depending on the pH Obviously, there's ups or downs on nutrient availability. So we figure that out. You know, the parts per million 
and all those things is phosphorus and potassium. Yeah, we need to look at them, but I like to look at the base sats too and just figure out where are we at with this mag and how can we try and figure out some way to manage that magnesium because that also is going to really help with a lot of our nutrient availability. So to your point, I think when we go back to looking at magnesium, you know, first thing we do is we say, well, we need lime. Well, next thing we know, our mag's high, er, because we put on dolomitic limestone because right. that's what we have. So if I'm going to try and treat something to counter that, I think putting some calcium in furrow where we're starting to treat the root zone instead of trying to treat an acre. I mean, I don't, I'm not against using like a dry calcium product, but at the same time, for my money, I'm going to get way more efficiency out of trying to put it in the root zone instead of trying to treat an acre. You guys push a lot of foliars as well with your products? Yeah, I mean, I've always been a big believer in foliars. I, and again, I think it's part of a total program. I think the biggest thing that has happened in the past, and I know that I am guilty of this in the past too, is sometimes it ends up being an add-on or a late-time addition. And it's one of those things where if we build it into the plan and we're counting on those nutrients as part of our plan instead of being an additional cost, that's an entirely different conversation where we're saying, well, okay, now we're going to count for, we need to know that we need some boron at a certain point, or if we're doing a VT application on corn, we know that we want to try and get some zinc in there or some different things like that, because we know that the demand curves of the crop, we're looking for some of those nutrients. So when I'm looking at foliar applications, to me, it's still part of the total plan, but I'm still adding, I'm thinking about all those things before I start to make my dry program. So when it comes to, like let's let's say potassium for example you guys have a product by okay um when when you place that product are you using that product as a replacement for dry potash or how do you place that product well we start looking at we start looking at how can we be more efficient in that and we know that with using products with bio k in it or even like k fuel is is straight bio k which bio k is it's our trademark term of what is actually just potassium acetate. And the only reason why we have decided to use more potassium acetate is we know we can get a lot more in solution with that product. So like a lot of other ones are potassium hydroxide or potassium thiosulfate. None of those are inherently bad. It's just that we know with acetate, when you take a certain amount of solution, when starters is a good example, you're only using five gallons. So we want to get as much packed in there as we can. And if we use the most soluble form, we can get a lot more in there. So I'm not replacing dry potash, but what I will do constantly is I'll look at, Hey, if I'm putting five gallons of an inferior product in with potassium acetate, with that bio K, I know that I can count on that for a lot more than just the pounds of it because of the proximity where you know, like it, I have a great example and it's on some big boards, but what it is is it's showing the equivalent of what is 500 pounds of dry broadcast potash. And when you look at that, there's not a lot of granules that are going to be really within a root interception point. And then there again, too, then they still have to be made soluble. So we're still relying on a weather event to do that for us, unless you got irrigation, which I'm assuming in your area is probably not prevalent. I'm, I'm not. No. <laughs> yeah. No. Have you ever seen that process, how you guys get that into that form? Yeah. I, actually, so, uh, you know, a video, we have some videos of Tommy Roach, our VP of product development, where he actually is doing that. He's uh, taking two and a half ounces of water uh, and using different potassium sources and seeing how much you can get in solution. And uh, there is a video of that we could link up to on natures.com, which is very informative because it just it's, it's trying to show that, that 
We can it's get a, a process. It's yeah. not easy. I mean, yeah, no, no, no. I guess where I see this product fitting is, let's say we've got this, maybe a cash grain guy where they're not seeing manure and you've got potash deficiency, really low part per million type ground. And this is something you add in the starter to kind of bridge the gap until that dry maybe fills in on the back end and gets into solution. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to look at it. You know, we're trying to get it up front and get it going just like you said. And, you know, like one of the things that I used to do when I was in your guys' guys's position in retail was on the highly managed acres we would do 10 tissue samples a year so we'd start about like v4 and corn go all the way to vt and sometimes r2 and you know nitrogen we could get figured out pretty well i mean most people at this point we know what we need for nitrogen the biggest thing at this point in nitrogen is we're seeing if we're using a more complete fertilizer program we can really start to bring down the whole old you know, pound per bushel, you know, a lot of guys that are really pushing hard are getting into that seven tenths of a pound, six tenths of a pound, and they're using their money for other nutrients because we know we need that balance. So what I would also see then when we were doing all those tissue samples is that we could have a lot of these, like nitrogen was figured out, sulfur was pretty well figured out, you know, but then, man, we were always short, always short on potassium and very rarely short on phosphorus because one, you know, at the history of most of Wisconsin, there's livestock. So other than that back corner that we didn't make it to in the winter with the spreader, you know, for the most part, we had plenty of phosphorus. Uh, we needed some to get started. I mean, when we had those high phosphorus levels, we were always trying to still use a starter because we had cool, wet soils in the spring, and we need some available phosphorus. But same thing to your point with the potash. Once we got going and we had that mineralization with some heat and water, phosphorus wasn't an issue, but potassium continued to be a struggle. And then you take that all the way through the season, we start talking about, you know, late season plant health and stock integrity and stuff like that. That's where we really need to continue to push this with potassium. I just don't know that a lot of fields are getting enough in different forms that are available to really push what we need to do here in terms of yield. Yeah. And some of these things, they're not hard to add in a program. I mean, you're already making a pass across the field for the most part, whether that's planting, herbicide, side dress. I mean, a lot of these can just be incorporated as easy as taking the jug and dumping it in the tank. Yeah, I mean, I, so one of the, I always look at it this way. is like, we're already going out there. And why why not just add it in? Like, the cost to go back again is far more than what it is to do it now. So the, uh, the old adage is, right, uh, growers never have enough money to do it right the first time, but they always find enough money to do it the second time. Well, I think one thing, too, we see is with planners, technology moving on, you know, we are getting away from dry starter planters. You're getting yep. more of the infill liquids. So our K levels are probably dropping due to yield, due to other things, but we're not getting as much potash out there, period. So supplementing a little bit in a, in a starter pass, I, I think, makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it, it just, it's the same thing. It's a process, and we add it all together. I think it only makes sense to try and get it in some other, other scenarios, too. Earlier we were talking, um, before we met here today, Nature's is also partnered with some precision planting and, and some other uh, partner programs per se. Do you want to maybe touch on that? Yeah, so, um, you know, we've had, they, we call them partner programs. Uh, one of the best ones for us has been precision planting. It's pretty simple, honestly. It's a rebate program. Uh, if, if I get a copy of a receipt from an equipment purchase, a copy of a receipt from a fertilizer purchase, I fill out a one-page form, and then you get a rebate. 
at the end of our fiscal, so sometime around July, August. Um, and then I guess the biggest thing with precision planning, too, is looking at the PTI farm and some of the data that's come out of there, which is third-party data of our products. You know, we really shined. We really shined last year. We're going to shine again this year. And it's really nice to just have that. There's a large following there, and I think it helps give us some more exposure. And I think it helps precision, too, because, you know, they make the equipment to put it on. We make the fertilizer that can go through it. And so it's a really natural conversation to just kind of go together. And I don't want to discount, too, we also have partner programs with 360 Yield Center. So, you know, they also have planter equipment. Uh, I think everybody's heard of wide drops. So one of my favorite kind of things to add in a wide drop pass where a lot of times, from what I've seen, a lot of times it's UAN, whether it be 28 or 32, uh, sometimes adding an ATS. We have a product called K-Flex that I can add in there. Same thing, trying to get some more potassium. K-Flex does have a little sulfur too. So just trying to get potassium at a different time. Again, good proximity to the plant and go that way. And then the last one that we also have is the SurePoint egg. So looking at the same thing, uh, inferral applications, stuff like that, all the same structures as far as the rebate programs go. And it's money that's there that we can utilize. So why not, why not do that? So like bio K, for example, that's labeled foliar. Okay. Yeah. So the uh, bio K realistically is, you know, the, it's in a multiple products. It's lay, It's in a lot of our uh, 100% orthophosphate starters. So there's potassium in some of those. It's it's in K-Flex, which you can use foliar or in that UAN application. And it's just in, it's in a bunch of our different products. It's not just one single product. It's kind of more of a... The foundation. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. But is there one method that you'd prefer to see those type of products get delivered foliar versus inferral? Versus even potentially wide drop or side dress? Uh, well, I or mean, all. Yeah, I mean, I, I like all, obviously. I mean, let's, I like all. I think for me, it's, it's still going to come back to like, I like foliar applications. I think there's ob- absolutely a place for them. But if we're going to look at how efficient can we actually be, I know that that inferro, that two by two, or that wide drop application, I'm going to be right next to the roots and I'm going to get more of that into the plant than I am going to foliar in a foliar application because at that point I'm relying on, you know, one good coverage and then two, it still has to go into the plant through the stoma. And I can't be as efficient that way as I can going through the roots. Mm-hmm. Yep. Another um, form of, I don't know what you want to call it. We're starting to get a lot of info on is, you know, the humic acid products, Fulvix. You guys have a lineup of some of those. You might not touch it on maybe a couple of those things. Yeah. So uh, I've always, Really liked using Humix and Fulvix. I I think for me, we have a lot of products that we have straight. We have a straight Humix product. We have a straight Fulvix product, and then we also have like in some of our micro packs for either a foliar or an inferro application. We have some that already have the nutrients and a Fulvix or a Humix in it. So it all depends on what your comfort level is and you know how you want to go about that. To go through all of them, <laughs> we got quite a few. Right. So I think it'd be better to look at a certain scenario and say, all right, well, this one makes more sense there. But I do think that the best part about those is we're still looking at nutrient use efficiency. And those products absolutely help us because they're going to act as a buffer between tie-up in the soil and helping get those nutrients in the plant. I think it really helps even more uh, in a foliar application with chelated micronutrients. And then when you add in the bio-K component, 
with a Fulvic, like one of our foliar products has, we're really taking two things that really help drive nutrients in a plant, and we're getting them in there faster. So he makes folks for basically just helping be more efficient with another form of yeah something. Yep. Yep. So let's let's try to pick a product out. So Lucas is cash grain, yep. less manure. I'm in heavy manure. Let's pick a product that would work probably better in a heavy manure situation situation versus a grain type situation. Yeah. Well, I, so my go-to product for actually either of those, and I'm just going to talk one that's really simple is it's called Finish Line. Uh, it so it'd be an eight four six, and then it would have zinc, manganese, boron. As far as micros go, uh, the potassium acetate is the six part of that, and then it does have fulvic in it already. So that's why we did that. Is when we're t- like, like I said, with the chelated micros, we can really drive that in the plant, and then we're picking up those micros as we go through. A lot of times, we're going to use that in a mostly in a post pass, post spray pass. So either corn, beans, wheat, doesn't matter. I mean, <laughs> I've used it on. You know, around the state, I've used it on cranberries, horseradish. I mean, you name it. It's a lot of the different crops we're looking at. It's just timing and rate and what do we want to do? What nutrients do we need at that time? And that's a product that can go across a lot of acres and have really good success. I mean, a lot of the data we have on it, you're looking at, you know, a, you're going to have a really good ROI on it. Yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, this is just my opinion, right, wrong, or indifferent, but I think people that are in that next tier of soybeans, especially that yeah. 70 to 80 bushel, they, they're they supplementing with some type of foliar product to get them to that next tier. Yeah, and I think, so one of the things, too, is we have all these cool micropacks, and I don't want to discount those because they, they really have a place, but, you know, as nature's, we still make every single micronutrient, too. We don't make anything, like, we don't make an ammoniated zinc. Everything we do is EDTA, but... To your point, the, the next level soybeans, uh, some of those I'm adding finish line and then I'm adding in another pint of boron I want to push, you know, and I can do that with our product lineup. I have that flexibility where if I want to add in another, like even zinc too, like uh, different applications, I can infer if I want to add in some more zinc, I can do that. I have that flexibility. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think as the crop demands get higher, as our yields increase, I mean, we have to look at other avenues to supplement these crops more often, not uh, put your dry starter down, spread your urea, and it's over. You know, it's a little bit more more than that now. Yeah, for sure. And I, same thing, too. You know, one of the questions you asked earlier was, like, what's some nutrients that are, I guess, on the tips of a lot of people's tongues is start talking about molybdenum. Okay, well we can do that and and i can show you some yield results of it but one of the easiest ways to use molybdenum is you know we already have some micro packs we can throw in with a starter where we've already got the, what you're going to need because at two to four ounces of using molybdenum a two and a half gallon jug is going to take you quite a ways you know so sometimes it's easier to already have it in a package yeah yep and i think the growers appreciate that too i mean uh it's a lot easier to take something in a jug and incorporate it into a system versus having to get a spreader delivered with dry fertilizer or your tank filled with 30,000 gallons of UAN. You know, a jug's a lot easier for people to, to kind of hone in on. Well, I think we you look at that in the past, too, with dry fertilizer, like, you know, adding in a zinc sulfate or a dry boron or something like that. It's like, I mean, that was a way that we could do it, right? And if you don't have another delivery way, delivery system, then it's a way to do it. But I I would debate pretty much anybody if they told me that they think that's the most efficient way to do it is to go out and 
you know, spread it across your acre. Like if I'm going to spend money for those expensive micronutrients, I want them to be next to my plant. Yeah. Right. Efficiencies definitely go down that way. Sure. One thing I like to talk about, I know uh, at this stage of the game, there's a lot of talk in the industry about biologicals and, you know, what ones work, what ones don't. Um, you know, it's kind of a wild west on some of it. And I think when you look at biologicals, I don't think there's any doubt that it's going to be part of our future of what we're doing. I think it only makes sense if we can get away from using lots of synthetic fertilizer. I think it's an environmental play at that point, and, and it ties back to our four nutrient standards, which we should all kind of have in mind when we're making fertility programs. Um, I guess, so we have one. It's Rizolink PE, and it has been through lots of renditions, so it's not new. It's not it's not something that just happened, you know, recently or whatever. It's it's pretty simple. It's two strains of bacillus. Uh, one of the things I always look at with biological is, is how many colony forming units are there. And uh, ours has a lot. And that's good because I've looked at other biologicals that don't have many. And it's like, well, I don't really know what we're accomplishing with that low of a count. And I guess the last thing I would say about Rizolink is it plays well in the majority of our state because its focus is phosphorus and phosphorus use efficiency. It's not a nitrogen product like some of the other ones that are on the market. We're not we're not going to tout that, but there's lots of areas where we have high phosphorus levels, and sometimes we can't get it all unlocked. So this is a product that we can throw in with a high-quality starter. I, I don't want it in a salty starter. I want it in something that has a decently high ortho content uh, that has a low salt content as well, and, and we can see some really good results using that, trying to get some of this phosphorus more available for us. And I think it makes more sense to do that because there, again, we're right next to the roots. We're talking about more efficiency, and why not try and use what we have in the ground versus paying for DAP or MAP, you know, some of these things that ha- you know have been relatively pricey recently here. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, on previous episodes we've talked about, I mean, biologicals, they're definitely the future. That's um what guys are looking for, where companies are going. So it's very interesting. I think people are just trying to gain efficiencies with what's already in their ground, you know, instead of always adding more and more and more. Let's take of what's available in our ground and, and get it into the plant. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing. Like we need to really look at what we're doing, you know, with, if all these more commodity type fertilizers are going to be high, <laughs> And why are we not trying to figure out how to use them the best we can? And you're, to your point, yeah, there's there's lots of things in our soil already. And then, you know, that gets into a whole other discussion of what are we doing with residue and stuff like that, trying to get these things, these nutrients back available so we can use them again. Well, with that, I think we're going to wrap it up today. So thank you, Simon Larson from Nature's Alpine Solutions. Uh, it was good talking to you. If you guys got any questions, reach out to one of your country visions agronomists and we'll go from there.